0: Well, have you ever failed to recognise someone for who they were? Uh, I play tennis at the local tennis club here in town in the Wednesday night doubles competition. Uh, Sometimes teams need a fill-in, and this one night there was a fellow on the opposing team uh, that I didn't recognise. I hadn't seen him before. I'd played a few comps by this stage, so I thought he must be new, you know, a first-timer. So I went and introduced myself to him. Uh, Was this his first time playing tennis here? Do you know how the competition works? Turned out the guy did know how things ran because the person I was trying to welcome to the tennis club turned out to be the president (laughs) of the tennis club. (laughs) And he had been for years. But I just completely failed to recognise him. I felt like a complete goose, but look, my teammates got a good laugh. We're up to Matthew chapters 14 to 17 this morning and throughout these chapters Jesus is recognized by some but then he's not recognized by others and it's more than just a funny or a sad story of mistaken identity Uh, in these chapters Jesus Matthew records Jesus either doing extraordinary God like things or extraordinary things happen to him, Jesus is presented to us on a monumental scale. And so to fail to recognise him, it's not just disappointing or awkward, it's devastating. It's disastrous. And so as we work our way through the chapters, the question we'll eventually come to is, do you recognise Jesus for who he truly is? So let's take a look. Uh, Hopefully, you've read chapters 14 to 17 during the week. Uh, And in chapter 14, we start with Jesus mimicking God and the disciples getting it right in recognizing him as someone of immense authority. Uh, It starts with Jesus feeding the 5,000, as it was just read. It's a well known miracle. A crowd has followed Jesus to a remote place, so they're out the back of nowhere. It's getting late, no one's got much food. Jesus asks his disciples, What have you got? Five loaves of bread, two fish. For Jesus, that's enough. So pick it up again, look at it there. Chapter 14 and verse 18. Verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, it's an extraordinary thing that he's just done. But as we've read it, it's meant to be ringing bells for us. What Jesus does here, does it remind you of anything? Can you think of another time when there were crowds of Israelites in a remote place, and they were miraculously fed with an overabundance of bread. It's just like what God did for Israel in the desert when he rescued them out of Egypt, when God fed them manna from heaven. Jesus is mimicking God here. And in the next incident, Jesus even claims God's name for himself. Uh, From verse 22, Matthew records Jesus walking on water, Again, this is something that the scriptures say that God can do. So you can look it up yourself later in Psalm 77, Psalm 77. Uh, But here, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus sends his disciples in a boat to cross the lake. Jesus, though, goes off by himself to pray. And while the disciples are struggling against the wind out on the lake, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, understandably, the disciples, when they see him, they just freak right out. Let's pick it up from verse 25. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, Jesus' words there in verse 27 where he says, it is I, literally he says... I am. Take courage. I am. And I am, that's God's name. Do you remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush again uh, around the events of the Exodus? Uh, Moses asked God for his name and God said, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Matthew is presenting Jesus to us as God become man, the one who miraculously feeds the Israelites with an abundance of bread out in a remote place, the one who walks on water, the one who takes God's name. And at least in part, the disciples work it out. Look at it there in verse 32. Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying... Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him. They fell before him. The first thing we need to come to terms with about Jesus from these chapters is that Jesus is God, worthy of worship. If Scott Morrison, our newly elected Prime Minister, came into the auditorium while I was preaching, and so over morning tea, you discover that the Prime Minister has come among us for church this morning. If that happened, that would cause quite a stir, wouldn't it? Jesus is God come among us. (laughs) That should cause quite a stir. And over more than just morning tea. And having seen Jesus on such a grand scale in chapter 14, it just makes the next scene in Matthew so tragic. After Jesus mimics God with his miracles, even claims God's name for himself, chapter 15, verse 1, just jars. It's a clangor. Look at it there, chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Seriously. We're dealing with God himself in the flesh, the creator of the universe walks among them and these religious leaders want to quibble about washing your hands before dinner. Man, they are a long way off the mark. The issue that they have here is that they think they can make themselves clean before God, that they can make themselves acceptable to God by being physically clean. So as long as they've got clean hands and clean food is the only food that they eat, then nothing unclean will go into them and so that'll make them okay before God. But Jesus tells them the only what makes someone unacceptable before God is not you know, whether they get muck on their hands. No, what, what makes someone unacceptable before God is the muck that is already in their hearts, the darkness of the human heart in its rebellion against God. That's what makes a person unclean before God. Look at Jesus' conclusion down in verse 17. Chapter 15, verse 17. This is his conclusion. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality... Theft, false testimony, slander, these are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. See, the religious leaders, they're all concerned about being ritually clean, clean on the outside, clean hands. They're not concerned about their hearts. But that's where the real problem lies, in our hearts. If you want to be clean before God, if you want to be acceptable to God almighty, you need a clean heart. But none of us have that. But thankfully, that's why Christ came, to clean our hearts, to bring God's permanent forgiveness. And so because of Jesus, we can be clean. Because of Christ, we can be acceptable to God. The religious leaders at the time, they didn't recognise Jesus as the one who could make them clean. They were too busy trying to make themselves clean. Don't make that same mistake. You can't do it. Now, of all the people, the religious leaders should have been the ones to recognise Jesus rightly, uh, but they didn't. And the next person Jesus meets, by rights, she should have had no chance at getting Jesus right, at recognising him. Uh, She's a Canaanite woman, that's a sworn enemy of the Jews, and her daughter is demon-possessed. Evil spirits have set up home in a Canaanite girl. She is so far gone, it's not funny but this lady, she gets it right. Let's pick it up now in verse 22 and look for how this woman addresses Jesus. Verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. See, the woman recognises Jesus as God's promised king and saviour. She calls him Lord, son of David. She gets Jesus right. She recognises him. However, at first, Jesus refuses to help her because he knows that he was sent to Israel. Jesus even says in the next couple of verses, he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And this woman's a Canaanite. But the woman knows that Jesus can help her. She recognises his authority and her place before him. And so Jesus relents. Look at it there from verse 25. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The woman knew that it wasn't time yet for the Gentiles to receive God's blessing, but she wanted some anyway. Even just a little bit. Just a crumb. Just a crumb, Jesus, that's all I'm asking. Because she recognised Jesus for who he was, that he's the son of David, he's God's promised king, he's the Christ, he's the Lord, she calls him Lord three times. And this is the, 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 another thing we need to recognise about Jesus from these chapters, that Jesus is Lord, he's the one in charge, he's the one who has God's authority, he has the power to save, the power to rule. Next up we return to the religious leaders and they get it wrong yet again. Uh, This time it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, Chapter 15 ends with crowds of people swarming to Jesus. Again, he heals all their sick, so he makes the lame walk, the blind see, the mute speak. We're told this time it's a crowd of 4,000 men besides women and children. And again, just like with the 5,000, this crowd becomes in desperate need of food. And so again, Jesus takes just a few bits of bread and some fish and feeds this crowd as well. And it all just makes chapter 16, verse 1, sound ridiculous. After healing all the sick and miraculously feeding the 4,000, we read this in chapter 16, verse 1. 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Seriously, followers, where have you been? What have you been doing, living under a rock? Even after all Jesus has done and they're still not satisfied and they just just simply refuse to recognize Jesus for who he is. And so from verse 2, Jesus rebukes them by saying, you can read the signs of the weather, but why can't you then read the signs of my miracles? And then in private, Jesus warns his disciples against the Pharisees and Sadducees. Look at it there in verse 6. Verse 6, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees And the Sadducees. See, Jesus doesn't want his disciples being led away by their religious leaders because they don't know what they're talking about. They do not recognize Jesus for who he is. Now it's one thing for the religious leaders to fail to recognize Jesus. What about the disciples? And it's at this point in the Matthew's book that Jesus wants to make clear, he wants to make sure, are his disciples on board with who he is? And so he asked them straight out, who do you think I am? Uh, look at it there, chapter 16, verse 15. Uh, after asking his disciples what the crowds think of him, Jesus then says in verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's it on the head, hasn't he? He's got it in one, nothing but net. Not that he did it on his own, though. He's recognised Jesus rightly because God opened his eyes to the truth. Look at it there in verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So Peter's got it right about Jesus. Because God has revealed it to him. And yet, even with God revealing the truth about Jesus to him, the very next thing that happens is that Peter gets it wrong about Jesus. He fails to recognise him rightly. With the disciples finally joining the dots that Jesus, yes, you are the Christ, Jesus is now able to explain to them what it means for him to be the Christ. But what he thinks it means and what his disciples think it means two different things. Look at it there from verse 21. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. The idea that Jesus as the Christ, that he would suffer and then die, Peter just can't deal with it. Peter's got in his head that the the Christ would be an all-conquering hero, you know, a mighty champion, vanquishing their enemies, restoring the kingdom of Israel. The Christ would be powerful, victorious, unstoppable, not weak, meek, suffering, And killed but this is a colossal failure to recognize Jesus rightly Jesus knows that as the Christ he must suffer and die and to think otherwise is to be right in line with Satan himself verse 23 Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you're a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men See, clearly, as the Christ, Jesus must die and then rise from the dead. Now, we're not told why here, but as we keep reading Matthew, it becomes clear for us. Matthew makes it clear. It's because it's the only way anyone can be saved from their sins. To be saved from our sin, Jesus must take our place he has to endure God's judgment for us. To save us from our sin, he has to die for us and then rise to life for us. And this is essential to recognizing Jesus rightly because to think otherwise is to think like Satan. And when you recognize Jesus rightly, when you understand that his path to glory was the road of suffering and death, well, then it doesn't come as any surprise to you that if you're going to follow this Christ, well, then you're going to have to suffer and die as well before you receive eternal life, which is exactly what Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples. Verse 24. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. See, when you recognize Jesus rightly, you lose your life for him. Because when you agree that Jesus is the Christ, when you acknowledge that he's the one with all power and authority who willingly died for you, who now sits on God's throne in heaven, when you recognize Jesus for who he is, you willingly give up any say in what your life is all about. You give up all control over your life. You surrender to Christ Jesus. And Jesus' promise is that all who lose their lives for him, all who entrust themselves into his care, he'll give them eternal life. But for those who refuse To recognise Jesus for who he is. For those who refuse to surrender to his rule. For those who refuse to submit to his saving love. Jesus says if you want to keep your life for yourself, if you want to run your own life, well then in the end you'll lose it. To fail to recognise Jesus rightly, that ends in disaster. Now, at this point in time, it's just all a bit much for the disciples. They failed to recognise him at this point as the suffering Christ. Their heads were just spinning at the idea. But there was one who knew exactly who Jesus was. Matthew saves his best for last in this section. In chapter 17, God recognises Jesus for who he is. God the Father announces that Jesus is his son, the King, his Christ Christ. So the disciples are—they're they're struggling to to understand who Jesus really is. What happens next is that Jesus gives three—sorry, God gives three of His disciples a helping hand. He gives them a sneak peek into who Jesus really is, because to them he might look like a bit of an ordinary bloke, but he's not. And so God gives them a, a little glimpse of Christ's glory. So what happened is Jesus took three of his disciples with him up a mountain and while they're there, Jesus is transformed or transfigured. His appearance changes. So look at it there in chapter 17, verse 2. Chapter 17, verse 2. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. It's a bit hard to picture, isn't it? I mean, it would have been hard for Peter, James, and John who were there. I mean, how do you look at someone who starts shining as brightly as the sun? I'm not sure they had sunglasses back there. I'm not sure they had sunglasses that were good enough back there. In his true glory, Jesus, he is hard to take in. And to help the disciples to understand just how glorious Jesus truly is, God sends Moses and Elijah to join the party. Verse 3. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, Moses, he is a giant of a figure in Israel's history. He's the one God used to rescue Israel out of Egypt. Moses, he's the one who met with God on the mountain to receive the law. And Elijah, he's none too shabby when it comes to being a figure of importance. He's one of the great prophets of God, but compared to Jesus, these guys are nobodies. After Moses and Elijah appear, you know, Peter suggests that he builds like tents for everyone, but he gets interrupted. Verse 5, look at verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Not Moses. Not Elijah. They saw no one except Jesus. He's God's son he's the one recognized by God heralded by God as his son the glorious beloved or powerful son of God you're taking it all in I know we're going quickly through the chapters but how are you going at recognizing Jesus for who he is because in these chapters Matthew he wants us to see Jesus in monumental terms Just think back over what we've quickly seen. Jesus is God. He's come to earth in the flesh, He is the Lord the promised Christ who will suffer and die for us to save us. And then in power and glory, he will be raised to life as the ruler over everyone and everything. God the Father personally acknowledged him, declared from heaven, here is my son, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I don't know about you, but I find it disturbingly easy to forget just how big Jesus is. I mean, I have this sense of him being God. You know, I know he's important. I've got this vibe of him, you know, he's in charge of my life. But these chapters of Matthew, they are stopping me short. This word from God should be stopping us in our tracks. We've got to be careful that our familiarity with Jesus doesn't spill over into being casual with him or taking him for granted or giving him our leftovers. We don't want to be the people who politely nod in the direction of Jesus. So we're happy to give him some of our time, but we don't want to get too committed We don't want to get too loyal. We don't want to get too zealous. I mean, after all, we're Presbyterians. We don't get enthusiastic. You know, we're conservative. We're down the middle. We're steady as she goes. No, (laughs) please no, no, no. Okay, break your shackles. Tear yourself out of your comfort zone. Hear the word of God. Listen to him. 2,000 years ago, God came to our planet. This is the Lord Jesus Christ we are talking about. God in the flesh. Come to die for us. Come to rise for us. Come to rule for us. He is the Lord, the son of David, the son of God. Do not be polite with him. Don't hold him at harm's length. The Lord Jesus is not someone you've got a little bit of an interest in. He's not someone you give a little bit of time to. Don't be a Sunday church Christian. He is someone you worship. He is someone you cry out to. He is someone you depend upon. He is someone you follow. He is someone you lose your life for because you recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our saviour. Brothers and sisters, He's our God. Our God. He's our God. We pray. Heavenly Father, please deal with us ruthlessly. Keep us from being cozy and comfortable. Forgive us for our complacency. Stir our hearts by your spirit and by your word, that we would rightly recognise Jesus, your son, our saviour, our Lord, our God. Father, transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.